is January 25th, 2021. This is Rook. is an Iranian kickboxing champion and an entrepreneur who made headlines around the world last year when being charged and sentenced to 16 years in prison in Iran for some Instagram posts including a simple one of a kiss with his wife. He's now in exile in Turkey and dealing with the complex story of being the son of a member of the clergy who's gotten on the wrong side of the regime. Picasso Moin joins us for a feature interview about being a controversial athlete and family man, speaking out and becoming a social media influencer. Plus, Mona from Melbourne with the Persian proverb of the week, and the team assembles to address your letters. This is Conversations from, to, and about the Iranian diaspora. I'm Gian Gomeshi. This is Rook. Welcome to episode number 79 of Rook, coming to you from Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Hope you're keeping well wherever you are, tuning in from around the world. We are on an ongoing mission to build this new audiovisual encyclopedia of Iranian diaspora identity coming to you on SoundCloud, on Instagram, on Spotify, iTunes, YouTube, and Telegram. And Castbox, by the way, right? Yes. We're just—we didn't even know this. We're on something called Castbox, which is a podcast platform. Yes. That some of my friend in Tehran actually, uh, she just told me that it's kind of a trendy app for in Tehran, especially uh, people listen to podcasts through Castbox. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would like to make it seem like we did that intentionally. We're on CastBox. But, mm-hmm. So I became a subscriber so I can listen to Rook there. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but it's got a few hundred, uh, you know, each episode has a yes. few hundred listens and stuff. I'm surprised. Anyway, there's something called CastBox. If you're not on it already and you want yourself a new podcast platform, you can also find Rook there. Check out our website, rookmedia.com, where we have put up the most recent Rook Reads opinion piece inspired by sculptor Parvis Tanavoli's appearance on our show, rookmedia.com. You can also find our latest Rook moment there, and it is from German-Iranian journalist Nathalie Amiri discussing the Iranian government's duplicity when it comes to reporting COVID cases and the depth of the crisis over the last year. I I think some would argue that 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 duplicity has not been limited to the Iranian regime, looking at how some countries have dealt with the pandemic as well. That voice you heard a moment ago is Shia John. Hi, Shia. (laughs) How was your weekend? Uh, My weekend was good, was productive, and I'm happy. What did you get done? Another song with Mila. Wow, <laughs> you're pumping out the songs. Yes. Uh, you don't share them with me. I after, haven't heard them. I mean, after this episode, I will play. Okay, I look forward like, to how it. How was your weekend? I've heard about Larry King and I was... 
Oh, uh, you know, thanks for mentioning that, actually. Um, this global icon, yes. uh, Larry King, a broadcaster, um, and a lot of people know him or remember him from Larry King Live, his CNN show, mm-hmm. where he was on every night. But, you know, he actually started in radio. And for those of us who were in radio, uh, I remember him. I was, I was a kid at the time, but he was on overnight. He would do this radio gig in the wee hours of the night across America. It was a national show in the U.S., and you could hear it here, too, in, in Canada. I think it was like from midnight till four in the morning or wow. something. You know, Yeah, and he would take calls. And even in at one in the morning, he would have major stars on. You know, I, He was sort of the only game in town when it came to that overnight radio like that. Um, so you may know this, but I had the chance to interview him a few times and get to know him a little bit. He was very, very kind to me, and he once sent me a note saying that he thought, you know, I, uh, I was a good interviewer and it meant a lot to me. He was kind of playing this mentoring role, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, on my Instagram, I, I put a link to one of the interviews I'd done with him on TV. But, um, you know, he and I have very different styles. Uh, yes. I'm in the kind of... Uh, the school of, uh, I don't know, Barbara Walters or David Frost. Uh-huh. You do as much preparation as you possibly can. Uh, Larry King's credo, I mean, one of the things he lived by was don't do a lot of preparation. Not that you shouldn't be prepared and not that he wasn't a great great at what he did, but, but he felt like for him to be natural in an interview, he didn't want to know too much about the person. He wanted to just kind of come and ask the natural questions mm-hmm. that uh, would come to him. It's a very different style from what mm-hmm. I would... Um, do or even prescribe to others but uh anyway yeah, did yeah. you did you know of larry king when you were in iran i mean uh, I, I, you only came a couple of years ago no, so I, I know of him um, but I, I i was going to mention that in iran he became famous after he did an interview with Ahmadinejad. of course that's yeah. right after yeah. that he, all people knows of larry king but actually i know of him before that yeah 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 well he i mean there's all kinds of reasons he he you know he sort of interviewed everybody over the you know he just he was this staple of you know before cnn was a major cable network um that it is now yes. internationally yeah. larry king was kind of the face of cnn i mean over the years he became he was one of the main people that you identified with cnn for many years you know uh and uh i i remember interviewing him after he left cnn and i don't think i'm not sure that it was his choice to leave and uh you know he'd gotten older and um Mm -hmm. um (laughs) he continued to do different kinds of broadcasting up until recently i mean he was you know doing podcasts and he was on social media and uh 87 years old anyway rest in peace larry king he was very funny i mean he thought he was funny (laughs) <laughs> he really loved being the idea of being a, a comedian. Uh, oh. And uh, yeah, no, he actually wanted to do stand-up comedy. Oh. Um, but he really was a, a fabulous raconteur, which is, uh, you know what that means, Shia? No. Raconteur is a storyteller. Oh. He was a beautiful storyteller. He would tell these stories, sometimes with a, a funny punchline, and he, that's why he was a joy to interview mm-hmm. as well. So... There rest in peace. Yeah. yeah, rest in peace. Uh, so today, Picasso Moin will be joining us uh, in a few minutes from Istanbul, Turkey. This is a, it's a very interesting dude. He he is now in exile. Uh, with his family, with his wife and kids, after being sentenced to 16 years in prison in Iran, along with his wife, for, quote-unquote, moral corruption 
for posting some relatively innocuous, uh, you know, by Western standards, innocuous things on Instagram. Uh, he's a major social media influencer and a, a former kickboxing champion, uh, has a quite an interesting and for some folks controversial lineage as well. So we'll get to him. Also, Mona from Melbourne, the Persian priestess of Proverbs, will be joining us later in the show for our Persian Proverb of the Week. Captain Reza will be with us as well. And the fabulous Keon and the whole Rook on Air team will assemble in about 90 minutes for the Letters of the Week, which we have a bunch of based on the last episode. Some people weren't happy with our choice of guests. We will get to some of those letters. Speaking of which, in the coming days on Rook, prolific Tehran-based musician Reza Tajbash. Mm. You know what's amazing about him? I mean, I know you know him, yes. right? He's a producer. He produces a lot of stuff. Yes. He's, he's a, a great, fabulous pianist. Fa- but he's not just a piano player. No. The guy <laughs> plays everything. He plays the bass. He plays the drums. Yeah. And now he's starting to sing on some tracks. Yes. Reza Tajbash, if you don't know about him already. If you live in Iran, you might know him. If you don't live in Iran, you might not know of him already. Happy to be introducing him. I think we've agreed to do the interview in English, which will make it, I'm, I'd have to ask Reza, but I think it's his first in, uh, English interview ever, a, a long form English interview. So, I think so, yeah. Uh, I'm looking forward to that. Also, acclaimed novelist Shahriyar Mandanipur, mm-hmm. who uh, lives in the States now. Um, he is uh, this prolific writer who, um, not unlike a lot of writers in Iran, was banned for a while, censored for a while, finally left Iran in 2006, but has continued to write some beautiful works. I've just finished uh, his latest novel uh, in anticipation of interviewing him, Shahriyar Mandanipur, and broadcaster Maral Mohammadi coming yes. up as well on the show in the coming days. Okay, let's get to our feature guest today. My feature guest is a, an Iranian kickboxing champion, an entrepreneur, and a major social media influencer. He was born Ahmad Moin Shirazi in Najaf, Iraq, but he is better known now as Picasso Moin. Picasso and his family moved back to Iran after the revolution of 1979, when he was only a year old. By the age of 13, he was immersed in the world of martial arts. In his teenage years, Picasso moved to Pakistan and then to Sri Lanka. He then returned to Iran in 1998 before leaving again for Germany, where he would win a number of different titles in kickboxing. In recent years, Picasso and his wife Shabnam had been living in Iran and had become an influencer couple with over half a million followers in Iran. On Instagram, one of the few Western social media networks that are not blocked in Iran, the couple showed themselves in their everyday life with their children, doing sports, or in intimate moments like sharing a simple kiss. Well, for this, quite famously last year, they were charged, they were convicted, and they were sentenced to a total of 16 years in prison by the Revolutionary Court in Iran for posting so-called propaganda against the regime and quote-unquote obscene and vulgar content and for spreading alleged moral corruption through their popular Instagram accounts. This led to a dramatic escape from Iran while on bail and headlines around the world in recent months. Picasso and his wife are currently in self-exile in Turkey with their two children. And right now, Picasso Moin joins me from Istanbul, Turkey. Hello, sir. 
Hello, Jian. Hello, everybody. It's a pleasure to be with you guys, really, and very excited for the rest of the show. Thank you so much for doing this, Picasso. Yeah, I mean, you've had quite a quite a year of the last 12 months, and I want to get to your whole story of how you were sentenced by the Islamic Republic, how you ended up being able to get out, and all that you've learned in the process. Let me ask first, in general, I mean, this has been a very turbulent time for your family. You're suddenly in exile. To judge from your Instagram account and postings, you are taking it in stride. There's sweet pictures of you and your wife and family. And very recently, you surprised Shabnam with her mom uh, visiting, which was a lovely post. Is it is it fair to say you are coping okay for now? Well, it is, actually. Uh, you see, uh, actually, being abroad, being like out of Iran, for me, uh, was something which I'm quite used to. I, I left country... Uh, as I was 16 years old, and uh, to be honest with you, I uh, uh, wasn't really the material which was meant to live in Iran. I mean, especially the kind of family that I r- grew up in, and I had difficulties in Iran, like uh, trying to connecting with the society to begin with. So when I left Iran, I left in the hope that I don't come back anytime soon. But when I came back and I met my wife and I decided to stay in Iran and then we set up our businesses and life and had children and stuff. So it was different. Like uh, I was really looking forward to being in Iran, although we had plans to go back to Germany since I'm uh, double nationality, I'm Iranian German. Uh, But we always wanted to keep in touch with Iran, keep our ties, always wanted to come back, see the families, keep our businesses going on. And this time, when we left, it was different. Like, I don't know, this, this, this term, this particular term, Qurbat, is what we are feeling right now. Uh-huh. Knowing that we cannot go back, we can't uh, see our friends anymore, we miss our house or street or, or, or whatever we built there, whatever we left there. And, uh, oh, that uh, isn't really that pleasant. But let's say we're a family, we're happy, and I've learned through the time uh, to be happy and grateful for whatever I have, and this is what we're doing right now. We're okay. There is so much there that you've said that I that I I, I want to deconstruct and I want to get into the story. I, I mean, let me just ask this first: after all you've been through in fleeing Iran, you're you're still prolific in social media. I mean, do you have any trepidation about posting on the internet, especially when it when it comes to your private lives, when it comes to showing Shabnam's mom coming or or your kids, etc. Uh, no, actually, if you go through my page, uh, we're doing exactly what we were doing back home in Iran, and uh, nothing really has changed uh, except uh, I used to criticize the government more, uh, as I was in Iran, uh, but now that I'm out and I know that they are a little bit like, uh, I mean, they got problem with me, and I being so close to Iran, I rather keep my nose out of their business. I mean, I still criticize the government sometimes from time to time, but uh, I just only do that when I really, really can't take it anymore. And our personal life, we used to like show a prospect of, I mean, a a tiny section of our lives. And this is what we are still doing. We're sharing uh, good moments with people. And I don't know, we're just communicating. And I, I believe that we are paying back to the society. I mean, to just, I don't know, you see, Iranians are through so much. They've been, like, through so much. Yes. And I thought, we always felt like they deserve to have a window where they could 
I don't know, feel a little bit like, uh, feel good when they see our children, us being together or having fun or pretending to be happy. We're all, of course, we're not always happy. <laughs> but just letting people in our home uh, was a thing that we realized it helped many people. And it did, actually. So we've been like doing the same thing as we came back here. Of course, in the last uh, year before we leave Iran, uh, as we were picked up by the Vizarate Telaat and all those people, we, we were not actually ourselves. Like we were posting things that we were only allowed to. We were trying to behave the way they wanted us to. Although, despite all the things that we did and we did not, they still took us to the court. So we left the country and we said, like, okay, back to the normal life. And this is our normal life, the routine, what we're doing. Okay, let me let me get to all of that. Because um, there, there's a lot in this story that is, is very interesting and quite daunting. First of all, t- take us back because you have... I mean, you have quite an extraordinary story of uh, coming from the lineage you do, becoming a champion in martial arts, then becoming an enemy of the the Revolutionary Court for your online presence. You were born in Najaf, went back to Iran as a little kid with your family. So Najaf is one of Shia Islam's foremost holy cities. Your father was or is a member of the clergy. What what was your childhood like? Uh, Tell me what um, little Picasso was like. Hmm. Hmm. Okay, <laughs> you're taking me back in time, man. Well, actually, I uh, was born in uh, uh, in a religious family, religious but modern. Uh, I mean, uh, of course, my I was born in Najaf, not only because my father was studying theology in Najaf, it was because my father was uh, a fugitive, a political fugitive because in the period of Shah. Right. Uh, I was born there, and I was different from the very, very young age. I mean, uh, I can remember that uh, a friend of ours brought me a shirt as a gift. I was four years old, and the shirt was American Navy's uniform, I suppose. Hmm. This is what I was told. So it has like these tiny eagles and American flags in it. And I was wearing it, and then a relative of ours or a guest of ours in our home looked at it and said to my mother that, oh, tear that uh, American flag off his shirt and that eagle and whatever. These are like Americans, imperialism, evil, whatever. And uh, my mom said like, yeah, but that's all right. That's just a kid. And you see those days at the beginning of the revolution, uh, you were either this way or that way. Like, if you wouldn't do that, they would still, like, they would just run out and start talking behind your back that, you know, these people are Taguti and they're, I don't know. So my mom took off that flag. And I think that was a turning moment for me. I was only four years old. Wow. But I really thought, like, this is not okay because I love this shirt and I love that flag. I mean, it looked good. I mean, hmm. since I remember, I always loved to wear um, bow ties or ties and things like that uh, in my family was a little bit odd because my dad was a Rouhani, was an Akhund, and we were not raised like that. And my mom, my dad used to say, like, he's different, like, this is in his blood. 
you put it interestingly a few moments ago. You said, I am not the material meant to live in Iran. And so you knew that from a young age, that you're just out oh, of yeah. step with at least the contemporary version of that country. Oh, yeah. You see, as son of my father, I had to behave in a manner and way which I could not. Not that I didn't want to, I could not. At the time, I was the black ship, and I had really, really a very hard time. People, friends of my father used to talk bad about, I mean, about me. They wouldn't let their children to play with me or interact with me. I was a bad influence, and I was a bad reputation for my father. My father was a great guy. You see, like he had his beliefs and he had his things, and he still didn't really, really push me that hard, but he had to control me. So when it came out that I could leave country for further studies, everybody was happy. Everybody was excited. <laughs> My parents, right. they said, oh, okay, we will, we'll like get rid of him. <laughs> you know, it's interesting to hear you talk about your dad. I mean, a, a, a significant member of the Iranian clergy, Ahund, as you say, Mullah. I mean, this, you obviously are aware, this makes you controversial for some people. Even saying, even telling a couple of people that you're going to be coming on our show, one of them said, oh, you know, he's a son of Ahund, as if you could never somehow separate yourself from that. Or, you know, <laughs> yeah. um, how, how do you react to people finding um, this uh, either controversial or um, somehow therefore seeing you as an insider of some kind? Well, I am used to that. 30 years ago, people would see me as a traitor, as a, an outsider, somebody who is spoiled, who is, uh, I don't know, who is faucet, who is westernized and has crazy ideas, dangerous ideas. And uh, uh, I don't know, 30 years later, people think about me the other way around. You know, I don't really belong to any, any, any group right here. I mean, I can't really connect with anybody, nobody. And actually, I don't know, I stopped caring about that because I thought like, you can't really make everybody happy. So I decided to be what I am. I mean, I am who I am, I am how I am. And people talk about me as we came out. Uh, there was this reporter from VOA who wrote an article about us and the guy didn't know a thing about me, nothing. I mean, nothing which is written in that article is correct. I don't know where he was getting his information from, but- Like what? I, what was he saying? That, yeah, he, he's corrupted. He has had hundreds of millions of, I don't know, dollars in his pocket from this organization and the other organization, which oh, I was like, oh, where do they get these information from? I mean, what is he even talking about? And I mean, I build everything that I have on my own, on my own, because uh, you see, in Iran, many people are unhappy and many people all have crisis, economical crisis. Sure. And they can't really realize that maybe they are unhappy because of other reasons and not financials. So if you look happy, it means you're rich. You see, like Iranians, at the moment, many people in Iran unfortunately think that happiness means having money. So if you're happy, you're loaded. If you're not, then I don't know. So are you so, are you rich? Actually, no. Not at all. I mean, I'm doing okay, but I'm not rich. No, 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 not at all. No. You see, 
Uh, but you seem, but you seem happy. So I figured you were. I'm, I'm yeah. always happy. You see, I used to <laughs> right. literally, Gian, right. literally, literally, I slept under the bridge in Germany, and I still was happy. You see, I sacrificed so much for this sport. You see, uh, I, I was fighting. I, st- I had a professional contract from 2000 till 2003. I used to fight with German flag, and as I made a name for myself. Uh, I turned to my promoter and I said, like, from now on, I will fight for Iran. And uh, the contract wouldn't allow that. So I said, like, I want you to do something which it works out. And uh, they came up with an idea, like, if I give up some of uh, the terms in my uh, contract, if I ask for less money, practically, I can fight for Iran. And I accept it. So I lost, I mean, financially, I've lost so much for representing Iran, although in my active years of fighting, nobody in Iran knew me. Absolutely let, let nobody. Me get to, let me get to those, the fighting years, but because, and, and I'll, we'll come back to your lineage. And, okay. and, but, but I want to ask you about being an athlete, because by your early teens, you start getting into martial arts. Uh, were, were you always an athletic kid? And, and what drew oh, you no. in? Wait, did you have pictures <laughs> oh, no. of Bruce Lee on your wall? Like, what was your, uh, how did you get into martial arts? Actually, I was a little bit chubby, not really that athletic. One summer, I got my hands on a movie from Jackie Chan. <laughs> and I watched that movie 150 times during that summer. From that moment, I decided to be a martial arts champion. Of course, I was uh, supposed to study because in our family, everybody had to study. Everybody had to become a doctor or mandis. So I did that. But this was not what I wanted to do. So when I was free and I had the chance, I decided to leave that all behind and focus on my sport career, which I did. By the way, I I love people and I, lo- I, I love human beings. I mean, this and stories of human beings. It's, maybe it's why I love this job because I like talking to people about their lives. And I love the, word, the way the world operates sometimes, especially in, in, in our era, that a kid in Iran from a religious family with a, with a father who's Nahund finds inspiration in a Chinese martial arts star, star <laughs> who makes <laughs> yeah. cheesy music, movies in the, in the 1980s and 90s. Uh, and uh, I, I really enjoy that that idea. Nevertheless, as a teenager, you you pack up and go to Pakistan and then yeah. Sri Lanka. Why did you go to those countries? Oh, okay. Uh, you see, at the nineties in Iran or seventies of a Persian calendar, uh, there were like pretty dark ages, you know. Because Ayatollah Khamenei was recently became he became the leader, and he came up with this new idea that we need enemies in order to survive because the war was over. So they thought, like, in order to keep people on leash, uh, we need to have an enemy, you know, like to scare people off. I don't know why. So he came up with the enemy, which uh, was not Iraq. It was not like necessarily America, it was West. And he called this Shabi Khune Farhangi, which it was, I don't know, like cultural invasion. And he asked uh, the people to fight this Shabi Khune Farhangi. Hmm. So there were like Basij 
کمیته نیرو انتظامی and they made life for everybody to help especially younger generations so I can remember we used to go every like uh, weekend to mount climbing to Kolakchal and there were times when we used to get arrested three times within six or four hours of uh, hiking you see this bunch of kids from Basij used to arrest us for wearing jeans and we used to like beg oh come on guys let's go it's like it's just a simple jeans come on and then they would leave us go after half an hour like begging and then i don't know 200 meters ahead another group used to arrest us and i wanted to get out so bad and my parents thought like okay i mean he is i don't know ruining the reputation of the family so what to do so when my sister was studying in, in, in Pakistan, and my sister said, like, why don't you send him there? I mean, here to me. And they said, oh. So when they uh, told me th- about it, and I said, oh, yeah, why not? And I went to Pakistan. Uh, I wanted to start studying dentistry, but I had a brother. He is a quadriplegic. He, it happened during the war. He was mm-hmm. fighting for Iran, and he can't walk it since then. Hmm. They said that maybe acupuncture can cure him. And there was an acupuncture college close to the dental college, which I was admitted to. So I went there, got admitted there. And I was really good at studying, by the way. So I got scholarship from Colombo University. So then I went to Sri Lanka and finished my study there. That's, you're only 17, back. right? I was 16. I, I 16. Was 16. So when you finished, when you returned to Iran at 20 years old in 1998, is it with the idea of being an acupuncturist? That was the idea. Well, actually, that was everybody was expecting me to be. And I was too young. I didn't want it to be a therapist. Uh, I practiced about six months. And then... I left Iran. I went to Germany. Yes, you leave again within a couple of years. I mean, this is quite a nomadic existence, you know, for a twenty-year-old. Uh, although now that you've laid it out from the, the top of this interview that you really you had this desire to get out, uh, it, it's fair to say you really didn't want to stay in Iran. So you leave yeah. to, to to Germany, and this is kind of the second half of your life in terms of the life so far. That is, you're not that old. Yeah. But uh, h- how would you characterize your years in Germany, Picasso? Well, I didn't go to Germany to stay there. I found a tournament where I could fight, and this tournament was in France. The tournament was on Saturday, and I got my visa on Sunday, the day after the tournament. (laughs) So I went, I still went to Nice, to France. We said, like, okay, now we are in France, what to do? We went to Germany where I had a couple of relatives, my, my grandma and my uncles and an aunt of mine used to live in Germany. Uh, they're also in exile. They left Iran for political reasons and stuff. So I said, like, okay, what to do? I presented myself to an academy, Scary Academy, Eskera Academy of Martial Arts. And they were very impressed with my skills, although they were more a boxing promotion but they decided to make a contract and keep me there. Hang on a second. Just so just to recap, 
you're this kid who is out of step as a kid. Your 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 parents are kind of ashamed of you, or kind of, well, what are we going to do with this kid? He's running around. Well, they were not really He's, ashamed. Of, well, not ashamed, you know, like, but they're they're uh, they're worried. They were, they were, they were, <laughs> Uh, you go to Pakistan, Sri Lanka. You finally seem to get it together to be a, an acupuncturist. And then you decide you want to go to Europe as a kickboxer. How did that go over with the uh, father and the concerned mother? My father loves me very much, by the way. I love him very much. And he still says that I've, uh, I know that the God has given powers to your hand uh, to cure people. But you use it in the wrong way way you just i don't know you destroy people you just you know beat up with people with people with those hands and they are not really happy they were not really happy but uh at the same time they respected my decision so i went there and i told them that i'm not coming back for a while i'm staying and i stayed there for a few years i didn't go back to iran for maybe four years you win some championships i had one uh, a European title, three German titles, and two world titles. One was really, I mean, three world titles, but the third one was really not very important on big organizations, so that doesn't count. I won the WKA, which at the moment, at those days, it was the big, largest or biggest uh, pro kickboxing organization in the world. And I defended my title till 2009. Yes. And then I quit. So what did this in this period in Germany? I'm very curious what you what you think others in Germany uh, made of you. Well, they loved me. I was one of the best paid fighters in Europe, I would say, and it was because I used to sell tickets because people loved me. Because I don't know, like uh, to some extent, I would say I looked maybe good for a kickboxer. Uh, I was very respectful because I came from karate background. So uh, there was always, I mean, the pre-fight interviews, maybe the opponent used to trash talk or whatever. I was always respectful, always to the point, always very fair. And I used to do lots of kicks, which in kickboxing, they really don't use the kicks very much. So it was, uh, I don't know, it was cool to watch somebody doing kakado or back kicks flip kicks and stuff people like that so and if things are going so well in germany and you're making money and the the crowds like you and the federations like you why in 2009 okay do you was, lose your inspiration and want to return to iran to yeah. uh, no no actually yeah. I, I was making more money than others but i was not really making good money i would ah, say I, see. I was making more money but the amount of damage jian uh, right now which i'm talking to you uh i just came back from doctor's office to operate my knee uh mm. because of 29 years of torturing my body and uh you see that amount of pressure you only had to be in love with that sport and right. do it for the love of sport and not the money uh, so still I was making money, but not really that much. But and there's also an interesting twist here when, because everything you've said about wanting to, to leave Iran and, and not feeling like you fit in and, and all of that, you're in the West at this point, you're starting to, you've obviously started to make life there. Uh, tell me about why you wanted at this point then to return to Iran. And you've said something interesting. You said yeah, you wanted to do something from my country. Mm -hmm. What did you want you to that do? Was so the reason that I went back was my father. Ah. Uh, 
once my father called me and he had a very serious talk and he said like first of all we are not getting any younger and one day you will have to live without us so why don't we use this time which is left the other thing is that i said like okay i'm fighting and stuff and he said like okay explain to me what will happen next time you fight and i said oh i'm defending my title he said what happened if you win i said i will keep the title <laughs> he said what happened if he wins i said i will lose the title he said that practically you're not gaining anything so and you're putting so much harm <laughs> to your body for something which you already mm. have mm. you want to retain that is it really really that smart and that got under my skin and i realized that okay that's it so and the payment is not really that great and i was doing some stuff uh, aside because we opened a chain of gyms with my friends which was kind of successful was going well i was m making more money doing that job right uh, you see like living abroad for a long time and uh, really i realized that okay i missed home so i went back to iran i had no business in iran so i decided to do something in dubai uh, i lost a large amount of money in dubai it was such a big disaster breakdown but anyway i got up my my, my feet and went back to iran and i decided to set up a business and what could i do i'm a sportman so i started to making a gym I found a friend. We got our money together. <laughs> that took us four and a half years to achieve. But let me let me and just fast track this part because I mean, uh, not only do you open a gym in Tehran this time, you, you you there's other businesses as well, right? A Lebanese restaurant, a production studio, oh, no, that, that, a hair salon, came, they, an they online came, training application. They all I came mean, later because I had no money at the time. I mean, but the only is, money it, I is it fair to say that you? I mean, just reading through your history of starting all kinds of, you are as much an entrepreneur as you are an athlete, and you seem constantly driven. You're not someone who likes to be idle. You're not someone who, I mean, you seem to be driven to constantly want to create things, businesses. Uh, if you're not working on your own body and your own career as an athlete, you're building all these other things. Not everybody is like that. W why do you think you have that kind of drive? I don't know. You see, I mean, I don't really plan for that. You know, you know I, I, I can drive very fast. I can drive really fast. But you know how I do that? I... Uh, push the gas pedal and I control the car and that's <laughs> how it, it happens uh, I mean I have to throw myself into something and then try to uh, find a way out and it I mean I most of the time I manage sometimes I don't but somehow I survive um, many people think that my father used to be somebody in the government or a clerics and he helped us through this and that and we were never raised like that you see my father actually is not a rich man exactly the opposite i don't want to talk about my father's financials because this is like his private things but my father was a very honest man and that's why uh i don't know he didn't really mix up with all the people in the power and he's at home right now he's not doing anything Anyway, I mean, it wouldn't help, like, you couldn't, I mean, isn't this the whole point that you have this dad who's, you know, somehow... Was never, I mean, you see, my, 
we are not like I don't know. I mean, I, have, I, I know there are so many corrupt pe corrupted people in the government, but not everybody is corrupted. You see, my brother went to Iran. I mean, went went to war, and now sitting in, he is sitting on the wheelchair. My father is not rich. My other brother went and served the country, uh, just like everybody else. I was lucky to get uh, dismissed through the laws, which even my father had nothing to do with it. And we never, we always learned to go and work for ourselves. You see, none of my, none, none of my, I mean, my brothers are not rich. I mean, they are doing okay because they're doing okay. I mean, they're working hard and uh, so did I. I built everything on my own. And, uh, because after you've gone through this thing in Germany where you, you have this moment where you go, this is, and your dad says, you know, think about what this is doing to your body, and you, and you, you kind of say, okay, I'm, I'm going to be done with martial arts, and you come back to Iran and you get involved in these businesses, et cetera, you start competitive fighting again in Iran. In fact, you win another title. Why, why did you go back to it? Oh, okay, that. It was because of my wife. You, you want to know about my wife? Sure. I fell in love with my wife. I got, I mean, it's through Facebook. Uh, I was in Iran. I saw a picture of my wife. Uh, it was a picture which was a little bit of Photoshop involved, I guess. It was black and white. <laughs> so I, I, I didn't know. No, no, no. I mean, she wasn't made more beautiful. She's really, pr she's the prettiest one I've ever seen in my life. Okay, but right. no, no, I mean, the picture was a professional picture. Right. So I didn't know if if it is a supermodel from Israel, South Africa, or a real person. Right. So I fell in love with the picture. It took me one week to find out who the real person is. So wait a second. This is a, so you find where did you see this picture on Facebook? It, was it like a was it a suggested friend or how, how do you exactly? Uh -huh. You know, like uh, the Facebook is you know how it's Facebook because I'm not on Facebook anymore that often. But it used to be like that. You start you click from here and then you land fifty pages later. You know, <laughs> right, right. This is right. how it was. Right. Okay. It used to just drive you from there and there and then. Uh, okay. I saw this picture and I fell in love with the picture. Oh. I was so lucky because it was an Iranian girl who used to live in Tehran who was single and she was not really living that far away from me. Mm. So I thought to myself, if this is not destiny, then I don't know what. So I was determined to see her. I mean, like I was so interested and she's so not <laughs> interested oh she wasn't and, interested uh, at first well not really because imagine she was a pretty girl on facebook you know how yeah. many people hit on her so you're just another guy uh, who's uh and i'm trying just to another her. guy who okay okay it happened who uh, may was a kickboxer doing well you know what i mean like maybe maybe i had a few points right because she was also into sports so and then it was the uh hashtodono the anniversary of 88 yes green movement yes and we both were active so we were writing each other and just be careful and stuff we made friends you know on, on facebook and then after a while we met and the moment that i saw her i mean i looked into her eyes i knew that she is the woman of my life wow so and uh we went there i, I sat with her we talked and I got lucky because she liked me back. <laughs> and three months later, we were living under the same roof. 
in Tehran. In Tehran. I'm waiting for the part where she leads you back to doing martial arts because uh, well, uh, so far became, you've told I mean, me a story she, about you fell in love with a beautiful yeah. girl. Yeah. Uh, so uh, she was she was my muse actually. Oh. You see, like she was she was the reason why I got the power because at the time I was so frustrated. She helped me really. I mean, she helped me out. I mean, she was there for me and uh, uh, did actually practically everything for her. Then she started training with me. Uh, she always said, like, I missed it. You fought, you fought, you used to fight, and I wasn't there. So I thought, like, uh, okay, how about if we fight again once more, and this time you'd be on my corner? Wow. And she loved the idea. Last time I fought was 2009, prior to 2010, 2009, and it was now 2013. Sure. And uh, in the level that I used to fight, this is crazy. So I started making a few phone calls. And in Europe, people, I mean, promoters, people know me. I mean, if I wanted to fight, everybody would give me fights. My old, I mean, I received so many calls. Even I, I received a call from Kuwait, uh, which I could fight there for good money. So I thought that I will get the Kuwait fight for a comeback. And uh, my own promoter gave me, because I was an elite fighter, so according to the, to the rules, elite fighter could, f could challenge the world champion or, or the first contender. So he told me that if you fight in Augsburg, in my own city, in Germany, he will give me a shot at the title. So I said, like, okay, another title. And this, this one was ISKA, which is the biggest banner in kickboxing and i said okay i'll fight for rsk title but i want i needed a warm-up fight so i took the fight in kuwait which never happened uh the, you know like they're they were a little bit tricky the kuwaitis uh in kickboxing it happened quite i mean often they didn't give me the name of opponent till it was two weeks prior to fight and i said hey guys i need to know who i'm fighting and i realized that maybe they want to surprise me with somebody i don't know so i, I just said okay it's too much risk i canceled the fight and i concentrated on my title fight comeback it was very difficult it took me three months to get in shape and uh yeah germany didn't give visa to my wife oh. that time she wasn't my wife at the time of course and uh, I fought alone. I mean, my, my, I mean, Shabnam was not there in the ring when I fought. Did you? But you won, right? Oh yes, I won. I won. Uh, but my, if my wife was there, I would have fought much better. You know, let me make a couple of observations about you. First of all, <laughs> um, for for a strong guy who clearly has a strong sense of self. You're, you are really affected by these really important people in your life, whether it's your dad saying, come back to Iran, or your wife or your future wife at that point saying, you know, uh, I want to see you fight. I mean, the, people can have a big impact on you, huh? Yeah, they can. Of course, I get inspired by people all the time. That's why I'm, I'm very communicative, you know, like talk to people. I have so many friends. I have so many friends. God knows from where. And uh, I really, I mean... I really, really love to be in, in, in touch with people. 
that actually that's why we're on Instagram and that's why we, we love it to talk to people, you know, like get connected to people, feel each other. It's, it's amazing. So, you know, the other observation I was going to make about you is that um, even though you're, you can be very, you can be, I mean, your reputation is to be someone kind of cocky. You've got a, a strong sense of self. As I said, you're, 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 you're confident, you know, um, yeah. but you're, you've, I think in this interview, I mean, you're, you're very honest. You're, you're, you're rook. You talk about being a lousy boxer or the business in Dubai that failed or, you know, mm-hmm. the insecurities that you've had or the vulnerabilities. So let me ask you this in the spirit of con- of, of, of this uh, rookness. Why is there so much controversy about your titles? I mean, you're, you're a champion. Why is there, uh, you know, doing research about you, there's these folks who say you're not a champion or that some of what you claim to have won is not. There is you- actually not. I tell you, there is nothing about that. There is only one person who made that all up. Okay. What, what, yeah, this, this Majid Fala guy? No. Okay, well, there's... It was the Rostampur guy. Okay, why did he do that? Asking me. (laughs) Uh, Because I'm not, you see, I'm uh, exactly the opposite because uh, he has made a video, nine minutes video about me, which, I don't know, maybe a million people have watched it. Uh, and, and, And at the time when he made the video... He had only sixty thousand followers, so that was huge blast in his in his page. And in that movie, they're all all wrong accusations, except my father being an Ahun. The only thing is that you see, if you type my name now, you really don't find much about me. Of course, if you are an expert, you know how to dig in. But if you are not martial artists or if you're not familiar with the sport, mm. you just type my name and there are a few things about me. Because you see, I used to fight, uh, I mean, decades ago, two decades ago. And uh, uh, at the time, uh, kickboxing was not really on the internet that much. And so many organizations are gone. They're, they don't exist anymore. They just mixed up together. They, did, they unify with each other. Oh, WKA is no more active. WTKL doesn't exist anymore. WIKA doesn't exist anymore. And the only one is ISKA. And the gentleman wrote an email to the ISKA and clear. They clearly answered every question. But he decided not to mention the questions and uh, thingy in that uh, email. Yeah, I mean, I, so listen, I, I, I don't know that much about kickboxing. Just, I'm, I'm just, I'm just uh, reacting to seeing this, that there's this controversy and wanted to know what, what your take on it was. I mean, it doesn't. You uh, see, it's he's neither, the neither only here one there. who did that, and uh, he's the only one who did that. And uh, Majid Fallah actually is a fighter. He is not a big name. He was an amateur. Wasn't he the captain fighter. of the Iranian national team? Yeah, yeah, you see, yeah, but the Iranian national team never got anywhere. Oh. I mean, so what's his, what's his an- problem with you? He said, like, you are not a good champion and everybody knows that. Who knows that? Is you who are telling that. <laughs> Go and ask those who know, you know? I mean, I, I, I don't, I mean, when I saw that, I started caring about that because, first of all, people like me and follow me because who I am, not because right. of the titles I won. I mean, asking my followers, so many of them don't know even that I used to fight. Right. And, uh, well, there is no controversy about that. It was just the gentleman who brought that up and it paid well. You see, like, he got 
he, yeah, he, he I get doubled it. His I, I, I get that followers the controversies and, uh, lead to clicks. I, I'm very familiar yeah. with all that. Let, let's get to your followers because you have a huge footprint in social media. I mean, you, you, I guess you started becoming active over the last 10 years online and particularly on Instagram. You were still in Iran and you become very popular and famous along with your wife, Shabnam, uh, and even later your children. Uh, how, how do you think, what was the magic sauce where you become such an influencer with uh, well over a half a million followers? Mm, okay. You see, first of all, you, you should know that my wife and I, we were really into social media that much that uh, I met my wife through uh, Facebook. I proposed to her on her wall. <laughs> you did? When I, yeah, when I said to my mom, my mom was, first of all, very happy that I want to marry. And then I said, son, you're an idiot. <laughs> and, okay, it wasn't like that. She, <laughs> see, she, she, because she didn't know about Facebook anything. <laughs> <laughs> I just showed her that look I wrote her would you will you marry me and she said like okay can everybody read that <laughs> and I said yes and I said son you're an idiot <laughs> because what if she says no I said like okay then she says no <laughs> I don't know well, this is a very really 21st into, century into, story into social media you didn't want to get on your knee and uh, do but you know be lakeside uh, nah, or with a no, 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 no. <laughs> and then uh, when we switched on Instagram because everything in Iran was banned and filtered and Instagram was the only social media existing in Iran uh, I don't know like people started liking us and uh, I would say that maybe we had the, the those factors you see you I don't know like there, there are few points that you need to have in order to people like you and maybe we had a couple of those and people found us interesting, especially a couple who always are together, train together, you know, like have fun and uh, I don't know, have, have kind of lifestyle that people maybe like, I don't know. But we were aware of that when we made a small trip inside Iran because once we're, we're, we did a travel, I mean, we traveled through Iran, we went to uh, Tabriz, and we were doing posts on the way, and then we started like getting responses. People were asking us, "Oh, come to our place, or where are you?" <laughs> People came on the street, and they literally found us. Wow! And it was very strange to us. I said, "I mean, it was crazy. I, I mean, I can't explain it how it was because it was like I never felt like that before." There were people standing in the entrance of the city where there was a, a petrol pump and there they saw us they said like they were waiting for us because they thought maybe we want to tank our car here hmm. and i said to my wife wow that's influence and let's use it for good so we started using that influence we raised money for so many children who had difficulties with expenses in their medical uh, procedures or so many people which, I mean, we did so many charity works. There were people who were kicked out of their house because they, they were behind rents or, I don't know, some people who were in jail and uh, because they owed money to people or many children that we helped or other adults who had problem with their uh, medical expenses. 
And then we started doing so-called farhang sozi because I think that this is something culture building that our culture really yeah. needs at the moment, you know, because after 42 years of revolution, the people are lost. I mean, we are all lost, you know, mm. because we're going wrong direction. You see, our culture got mutated somehow. And we thought like, this is the place, the platform we can use and talk to people. And they say that if you want to see a change in the world, become that change. Uh, so we started like, uh, behaving the way we wanted everybody to behave and showing it to people, talking to people. And it started working really, really good. Do you like the fame part of it? I mean, you're probably more famous than you've ever been now. Do you, is that something that you, that feels good that you, that you, that you enjoy? Certainly. Certainly. Uh, okay. Enjoy. Of course. You know, I mean, I would, I wouldn't, I mean, even if I was not, uh, let's say, I mean, if the people didn't know me, I still would be the same person. Uh, and uh, this small amount of fame didn't change me. It didn't make me different. I mean, another person. I, I, I mean, I think, I think it didn't. But uh, of course, it is not easy, especially uh, in Persian uh, social media, because you know that Persian social media is very abusive and very offensive as well. You see, they got good parts, and they are. I thought that was just uh, social part. media in general. <laughs> it doesn't uh, have to. Uh, well, yeah, but you know, no, no. I mean, okay, I don't know. You should have your experience, which I'm sure you have. Yes, yes, I. <laughs> uh, but uh, people are ready. I mean, this is how it is. You see, uh, I fought for so many years for my country, and then one guy come up with a video, and then look what he did to me. <laughs> this is how it is. But yep. uh, uh, yeah, we like it. I mean. We, we, we liked it because we did a lot of good things. I mean, we did a lot of things which I'm very proud of. I mean, we together, people, raising a fund for somebody who needed, let's say, I don't know, $100,000 to get out of jail. And there were people who were paying five cents. But they felt like being part of a good deed, good thing yes. to do. And that, 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 I could say that brought a change, you know? It's kind of the best part of social media where you can actually really be, build a community. Picasso, let me, let me then get to, um, I mean, before I let you go, we have to get to the story of what's happened over the last year. So, so you become repeatedly summoned to the intelligence ministry in Iran and warned about your social media activities, you and your wife. Uh, first of all, how seriously would you take these warnings at first? Oh, oh, if it is in uh, the Ministry of Information, <laughs> you take it serious. I mean, everybody does. You see, that's, that's, the, last, that's the last stage. It's like cancer stage four. But it didn't stop you from posting things or doing what you believe you, you uh, should have the freedom to do. You see, talking about controversy and people you know, talking about me, it, it was like for two years, people were always accusing me of being supape et minan. It means like uh, you are telling all this stuff, you're criticizing the government, but you are with the government, you are with the regime, you are criticizing it so that we feel there is freedom of speech. Mm. Otherwise, there are people who've been uh, taken in custody or vanished for writing way less than you do, so you are with government. 
Uh, and then once they picked us up, everything changed. And uh, it was a couple of young guys, I mean, young teenagers, some, 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 some people who were on a boat on a lake swimming together, girls and boys. And somebody shoot their pictures while, while, while swimming. And that picture went viral. Yes. Shabnam came up from our home gym, said to me that, you know about those children, um, those kids? I said, yes. He said, one of them is cousin of a pupil of mine, a student of mine. I said, okay. He said, day before yesterday, 6 a.m. in the morning, they have raided their house and picked them up with their computers, uh, cell phones, and everything, and arrested the whole family. And I said, oh, shit. And he said, now keep writing whatever you're writing and always say nothing happens. She, I swear to God, this is the truth. She went back downstairs to the gym Three or four minutes later, I received a call with no ID color on it. And I said, like, oh, God. I picked up the phone. <clears throat> Hello? And he said, yes, uh, Mr. Said Ahmad Munshirazi. And I said, I mean, nobody calls me that. Everybody calls me Picasso. So I knew that, shit, this is serious. And then <laughs> they said, yeah, uh, are you at home right now? And I said, yes. I said, can you please remain at home? Because we are sending you a letter and we need to hand it to you in person. And I said, like, okay, where is the letter from? He said, it's a letter from the court. And I said, okay, has it to do with my gym or other businesses, restaurant or whatever I have? He said, no, 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 no. It is for you and your wife. We call you from Ministry of Information. I, uh, I said, Agaman kor koparam richt in Persian, and he said, oh, No, no, don't worry. Information. I mean, Ministry of Information is a very friendly informa- uh, ministry who is there for your own security, and I'm sure there must be a misunderstanding. So there are a few questions that you have to clear, and there is nothing to worry about. Hmm. So I remained at home and. The, a big fellow delivered the letter. Sorry, it was, when was this? How, how long ago was this? It was uh, 2018. It's a couple of years ago, yeah. Yeah. So I went downstairs. And you see, Shabnam came and told me that because Shabnam was always against what I used to write. And all this criticizing the government. My father seriously disliked it. And he always told me, stop writing what you're doing, because this is, first of all, you're, you're wrong. You are wrong. And second of all, this is very dangerous what you're doing. Don't, don't think that I could protect you. But Picasso, are you saying that they used the pretext of you guys, you know, putting pictures on the Internet that, that you know, it goes against the laws and they used that as the pretext to come after you when what, what they really were coming after you for was the fact that you were taking political positions against the government? We were we were a package because there was propaganda against the regime was one of the accusations. 
which was what I was doing according to them. I never thought that I'm doing any propaganda against the regime because I was thinking that I'm writing very smart. The re- I, w- I used to tell my wife, you see, why they come to us and why they haven't come to us actually or for us is because I write very smart, you know. I know the red lines. I don't cross them. Uh, this is what I was thinking. Right. But no, that wasn't the case. I don't know why. They should have come way earlier because I tell you why. When we went there, they had copies of maybe 1,000 posts of my wife, 500 posts of mine, each one uh, printed on a paper, written something on it uh, with a comment on it, and they were all there as uh, evidence. I had a post which I, 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 I wrote. It was too offensive, I would say. It was a little bit too sharp. After a few friends of mine read it, they called me. And they said, Picky, maybe you want to delete this because this has gone too far. And what did you and say in that post? It was about Dukhtaran Engalab or something like that. Okay. Those, the girls who used to yeah. take off Daughters the of the revolution, stuff, yeah. you know? Yeah, Daughters of so, the but revolution. But I, I used some strong terms. And when the third guy, the same night, called me and he said, Picky, what is it? Pick, I mean, take it off. I deleted it. So that post was maybe for four or three hours on my Instagram. And they had it. And they had a copy of that. Yeah, yeah. So, I don't know. Like, maybe there was, I don't know how it works, but they had a copy of a post which was only three hours on my page. And I was like, wow, you guys are good. Anyhow, we went there. We were really scared. Can I just stop you for a second? Because you're telling this story almost in a... Um, in retrospect, in in almost a fun way, you know. Uh, but sorry. but no, no, don't be sorry. I mean, I, that's probably a because because I, you know, I I go from A to F and F to P and I don't know. I well, I just I wonder if I mean you, you when you say you were scared, I, I imagine you were on some level terrified at this point, right? Because. Oh, yeah. Um, this is this isn't a joking matter. This is gonna, you know, no, no, no. you especially you, when we had two children. You start to realize that they're being they're quite serious about this. They're after you, and you have crossed the line. What were the kind of conversations you were having with Shabnam at this point? Oh, when I went down and told Shabnam, okay, she really let me have it, and uh, we don't really argue much. And that was one of the moments because she told me that she has been telling me for, I don't know, last two years, and I never listen. My father has been telling me I never listen. Everybody has been telling me I never listen. And now look what you did because we are not political fighters, you know, like we are not free fighters or whatever because we have two children. We are family. And what? what should we do now? I mean, who is going to look after our kids? And at the time, my daughter was 10 years old, 10 months old, and she used to be fed through my my wife, you know? And uh, we knew that they were picking up bloggers and influencers since months. And what they used to do, they used to take their phones and uh, take their Instagrams down and post a picture that Setade, uh, I don't know what it was like. This page has been seized by the this authority of Islamic Republic and blah 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 blah. 
So we didn't take our cell phones with us. And of course, I had some conversations with Masih Ali Nejad. She used to write us sometimes that, yeah, I love watching your family and I miss my own family. And we used to write her back. She was very kind, very nice. I mean, regular conversations. I, I, I deleted everything because I knew that they were very, you know, like they're so sensitive about her. And uh, started like, you know, some political conversations I had with people. I deleted them anyway, but we didn't take our phone. And since our passwords are too complicated, we couldn't give us our accounts, even if we wanted to. It sounds like you, even after you get called in and even after you have the big fight with Shabnam and even after you realize that this is serious, you still couldn't have anticipated that you're going to get sentenced to no 16 way. years Come in on. prison. Just watch, look at my page, Gian. What, what have I done to deserve that? We did so much good in that country. You know, I have, I, have, I have started so many campaigns which they have had so many fruitful results. Do you know that I pick up cigarette butts and I started a wave and campaign in Iran? And do you know how many people, thousands of people do that in Iran? So now? why do you think the sentence was so harsh? They were looking for examples to scare other people. The, the, the election of the parliament was closed. And they didn't want anybody to take any side. They realized that we have become too influential, maybe. And of course, we were not with them. We were not. We were not enemy of I don't know of the regime. Let's say that you know. Of course, I don't like them. I didn't want them. I always prayed that they go. But I was never a political activist. You know what I mean? So they thought maybe what if one day they decide to go against us for good. For example, you see, like, after that, what happened? The, the government knew things before they happened. For example, uh, a few months later, they shot 1,500 people on the streets. And maybe they knew things like that would come, and they wanted to get rid of those people who could, uh, you know, like, uh, influence people to do something like that. Because the moment that we got out of the country, we lost that magic. You know? Well, hang on a second. I mean, that's an interesting thing, thing to say. But let, but hang on a second. So I okay. guess at some point in 2020, especially, you realize that you either have to stay in Iran and go to jail potentially for 16 years. Potentially, no, I didn't. Yeah, I didn't even know. I didn't even know what happened. What was going on? I mean, we left the country. We didn't know that we will be uh, dealt with so. Oh, harshly. that's right. That's right. You got you got the sentence in absentia. So tell me about the decision to leave Iran. The dis decision to, f I guess, flee to to get yourself out of there, and that couldn't have been an easy decision to make. Yeah. You see, the first day we were as we were interrogated. It was kind of funny because the day, the, the moment I stepped in, I wasn't afraid anymore because I was always terrified that I get beaten up by them. And I realized that I saw that there are two guys, they can't take me out. I mean, even if I, if I, they wanted to beat me, they had to, they had to politely ask that you don't hit us back when we hit you. <laughs> uh, and uh, uh, I, I, I felt okay, you know? And they started asking crazy questions. They had asked the same question uh, for my wife. They asked me whether I have a girlfriend, whether I have an affair. They asked the same thing for my wife. Imagine asking a lady, do you have an affair? Do you have a boyfriend? Does your, wife, does, does your husband know about it? So like, what are you talking about? You know what I mean?
and uh, the same they asked me the same thing or questions like that and the the guy used to call himself chainsaw they interrogated us for four hours myself three and a half hours my wife and they made us uh, write stuff they asked us first of all if uh, that we have done it by ourselves like we were not told to do so by any western country by any enemy or whatever and they asked us that uh, we promised that we don't do the same thing which means we don't criticize right cr critics about the government and we don't show uh, i mean we don't have pictures without hijab and then they said like the third is we are going to delete all the malicious uh, content in our page and then we are not going to talk about it to anyone which we were picked up by them no one and uh, we will cooperate okay the fifth part the cooperation i didn't sign and i said um okay let me tell you i am not cooperating with you and that was actually the main problem because i come to that because when they next time they called me again after five or four weeks after we deleted almost all the pictures of my wife's were without hijab i didn't delete them by the way i archived them and they didn't even ask uh, uh, us uh, where is our cell phone or they didn't want to take our pages anything they said do whatever you're doing just delete these and don't write that and don't do like this and that and uh, you're now free to go after of course four hours but four four weeks later they called in again they called us in again but they said like now you can come to our office they, they took us to an office we were both together my wife and uh, myself they had tea coffee some pastries they were like more friendly still threatenful but friendly and we talked and they said like yes yeah, some of some more posts you have to delete because the persecutor is not happy with it they said like these and these and these posts should also be deleted we said okay and at the end they said that we want uh, your cooperation hmm. and we said look we were clear no we, there is nothing but we don't even like you we don't want to cooperate with you he said like yeah no no you see not that kind of cooperation we want you uh to you see masia al-nijad many people sent her uh, videos of a woman getting beaten up because of hijab and she posted so they said, like, we have so many archives like that. And we want to show to the authorities that this way of behavior is wrong and it backfires. So we give you some of these files which nobody has. You send it to Masi. Masi will share them. And people get angry. And I will tell my boss or whatever, my superiors, that, look, this is what I mean. It makes people more angry. <laughs> you say, like, why should I do wow. that? You what a, that this is her. crazy. I mean, yeah, I said, like, you're acting like Masia Lejad is public enemy number one. So why do, why do you want me to send her stuff? You do it yourself. I mean, anybody who can send materials to Masi, Masi doesn't care who's sending. If she sees it's legit, she will post it. Or why don't you give it to me? I will post it. I mean, I will post it. Maybe somebody from my page will send it to Masi. We didn't accept it. And uh, clearly we said no. And he said, okay, then the no is no. He said, yeah, 
Okay, you said, okay, then now you can go. But if anybody from any authority calls you for any other accusations, it has nothing to do with us. We are clear with you, but we don't know about others. Hmm. We said, okay, now we can go. He said, yes, go. Of course, they were very annoyed that I kissed my wife. Oh, that was, that was one of things, one of those things which they really disliked. And he called me. This was a Bihira. post. This was a post on the Instagram. It was the first yeah. time. He said, like, you see, <laughs> very funny, Jan. They had a scale of measuring things. Every 100K people was one estadium azadi. So any t- every time that they want to talk about 100,000 people, they used to say one estadium azadi, two estadium azadi, five estadium azadi. Okay. You are kissing your wife in front of four Stadium Azadi. <laughs> and I said, like, dude, I would kiss her in front of seven billion people. And the guy said, like, <laughs> we were two different worlds, you know? Yes, and he called yes. me like, okay, you guys are, I don't know, like. So Picasso, how, do you, how do you end up getting out of the country? Did you have to sneak out? Did you have to escape? Okay, that's, that's, that's a very stressful part because we received an SMS that we have to go to court. Still, after all those things with it, we went to the court and there they accused us of treason and so many stuff that there was written there. And they tried to arrest us. And I, we had no idea that they would arrest us because we had two children. And we, they told us, you will come, we'll deal with you within an hour, you can go. So this is how we like managed everything. My sister-in-law was at home with our daughter. Our son was in kindergarten. We went there to come out quickly, and they arrested us and put us in, in cells. And if our lawyer was not there, if my mom wasn't there begging the prosecutor, they wouldn't even let us to bail ourselves out. So we had to bail ourselves out the lawyers said that all the accusations that they have made against you, it is not something that you could get away with. So you have to you have to count on some jail time, definitely. So I came up with the idea. I said, what if we leave the country and you represent us? Oh, we said this is a this is a wonderful idea. But can you leave the country? Hmm. We don't know. So did you think you could leave the country? Did you think you could figure you out a way? You see, it is, it is, you see, it is very, very moody and selective. It always depends on the person in charge. So we started asking, imagine I asked 12, 10 people that I thought maybe they could find out. And we didn't get a clear answer. So our lawyer told us not to talk over the phone like via the phone about us living don't tell anybody and uh, just leave so we thought what is going to happen even if we have a travel ban because we checked on the computer a computer which everybody else can check and we did not have a travel ban but we're still not sure so we thought okay uh, we'll go together all together but first I will go and I'll try to cross the custom department, that place when they stamp your passport. If I am 
uh, if I have a travel ban, Shabna will know and she will leave without giving up her passport. This is what we did. We went there and uh, we had no travel ban. Of course, I couldn't leave the country at the day because according to my passport, I was German resident. And people who are resident of other countries in Iran, they can't live in Iran more than six months. And I stayed more, I mean, longer than a year. So they said, you have to go and change the residency in your passport and then come back and go. So she left and I went and I did uh, changed my residency and I left the country after three days. But during these three or four days, Shabnam used to send picture of kids, close-up pictures, so that they you can't really realize where they are. And I used to post stories of my kids and I used to send pictures of ha- our house to Shabnam. Shabnam used to make stories so that nobody know, wow. knew that they were gone. Wow, yeah. So the day that I left Iran and we made a story from Turkey, the chainsaw wrote me on WhatsApp. And he was very, very not happy. I was going to ask you, you know, now that you're in Turkey, I mean, ostensibly you're, you're, you're safe to a certain extent because you're outside of Iran, but, but you, you must still kind of be watching your back, you know? Did, yeah, we did, are. Yeah. yeah. Of course, I'm here as a German national, and people keep telling me that, yeah, maybe they want to pick you up and stuff. But I actually, Gian, I see no reason because uh, I'm nobody. I mean, I'm not doing anything. I'm not a political, I don't know, uh, threat. And uh, I think they have more important stuff to do. And uh, I believe that they can't pick up a German national from here. And uh, even if they could, uh, there are rules for that. You see, if you're politically... I don't know, in danger, I don't think that they can take you back. No, I but mean, you're not a... Catalu, why should they take me? But Picasso, you're not a shrinking violet. I mean, even doing interviews like this one, it's uh, not that you're saying anything uh, that anybody else wouldn't say or anything scathing, but um, you're you're an irritant, surely, to them because you just won't go away. Uh, <laughs> you, you, must be, yeah. you must be aware that you cannot return to Iran now. You're home. Tell, tell me... How that feels? I mean, this time, oh, un- this unless is, there's a regime change, uh, you're yeah, not, this you're is not the going back. That, that I told you about. You see, like th- other times when I was out, I felt good. You see, I felt relieved. I said, like, okay, now I'm in a free world. Now let me, you know, let me enjoy like all the uh, all the you know like uh, advantages of free world they can offer me for a while till I go back. And I really liked it. But this time, you know, I miss Iran. And just the fact, I know if you saw the video of Shabnam and her mom, yes. you would know how I feel now. I mean, just just the feelings that if you want to go back, you can't. I wouldn't even eat lunch if I have to. You know what I mean? Although I will tell you that um, there are many, 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 many of us in the Iranian diaspora who oh, still yeah. have family in Iran and who know that we can we cannot return there. Uh, we cannot even visit there. So uh, I, I get how it feels. Do you do you still hear from Iranians inside Iran? I've got to imagine you do in social media. What do they say to you? Of course. I mean, I, I mean except those trolls, people really, really are very kind to us. They really, really like us. They love us. They're all very sorry. But uh, when I told you once that we lost the magic. Yes. You know, so 
let's let me tell you that there is a called the cyber army of Islamic Republic of Iran. There are maybe thousands of people active in different social medias with hundreds of thousands of different uh, profiles, fake profiles. And they always try to manipulate, they, they always try to start waves or make things viral or try to show that things may not be that bad or, you know, like they just somehow reflect the truth in another way. And uh, at the beginning, when I used to criticize things happening in Iran, some of these pages used to come and write, or like, if you were man enough, you would stay here. Or, yeah, you're no more there. You're, the Persian says, you're sitting out of the thing, you know, out of the game and just giving advice with not putting yourself in danger. And I would see that so many people liked the comments, so the comments stayed there, and that would influence everybody else. And they said, like, yeah, you shut your mouth. You don't, you're not even entitled to say anything about Iran anymore. And I realized that, yeah, you see, when you are in Iran, your words, they have value. When you're out of Iran, then you, you see, you lose the magic. This is exactly what happened. And I believe that the whole theater and the whole drama was that they wanted us out. Otherwise, why would they want to put us in jail? I mean, what, what would it bring to them, you know, except bad publicity? But now that we are out, we are out, we are no more in the country, and they get rid of us, and they're happy. I'm sure they're happy. And believe me, we are happy as well. <laughs> but the only thing is that we miss home, and the thing that we can't visit our beloved ones, and we lost all most of our businesses. So speaking of your beloved ones, uh, have you spoken to your father since you were exiled? When this thing happened, my father was so angry at me because, first of all, he believed that I deserved it. He believed that what is happening to me is right because I did it, I did wrong things. And he was angry because he always said that I told you so and you never listened. He was so angry that he didn't talk to me for eight months after we left. Of course, we didn't tell him that we are leaving. But the last day I wanted to leave, I went there, I saw them, I visited them, we didn't tell anything. Even after my wife had left for three, four days before I joined her, I didn't tell them that she's not home. Uh, and uh, he was disappointed of me and he didn't talk to me for eight months. And then once we talked, of course, he talked like very seriously and uh, you know, he let me really have it. But then we're like father and son at the end of the day, we're family. So we don't talk about other stuff like business as before. We just talk about how are you, son? How are you, father? How is everything doing? And just like that. Not really that often. I really miss his company and talking to him that much. But, uh, yeah, what can I do? And uh, as, I, as he told me once, you're not getting any younger, so this breaks my heart. Uh, but, you see, this, this, this whole thing for the last 42 years, this cursed, you know, has put everybody in misery in Iran. Don't you agree? 
Wow, man, this has been uh, quite a quite a conversation. I I have really appreciate the amount of time and energy you've invested in this, and and the amount of candor and honesty you've brought to this uh, this Thank conversation. Thank you for letting me all out. Let um, <laughs> it, no, I mean it's, it's been fascinating. Let me let me just uh, one final question, which is, I mean, what 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 do you believe the next step in your journey is? Do you see yourself staying in Turkey? Are you going to come to North America? Or are you going to continue ah, being an influencer question. what is that what is the next uh step on the journey of picasso we wanted to go back to germany since my children are german citizens as well and i always i mean i see germany as my second home i speak their language and they're always welcome i have many good friends there and the germans have been always very kind to me but uh when we came to, I mean, these few days that Shabnam was staying here with kids, when I came, I decided to stay for a few days to get, like, to get a relief in our head. And I realized that, wow, this is a great city. We fell in love with the city. We decided to stay here. But I'm not sure if forever. And going back to Germany, we went once to Germany, and all of a sudden, everything looked different, you know? I mean, with two children going uh, and uh, imagine that we don't have that kind of financial stat that we used to have. I mean, the kind of life that I can uh, arrange for my children here is uh, way better than what I could offer them in Germany. I hope you take care of yourself. I hope you stay safe. Um, um, regards to Shabnam and your kids. And um, again, I look forward to talking soon. I know I talk too much. Everybody tells me that. And you were a very good listener. I really appreciate the time. Thank you so much. And good uh, office. Damn it. Good office. Picasso Moin, an Iranian kickboxing champion and entrepreneur, a major social media influencer, now living in exile with his family in Turkey. Picasso joined us from Istanbul today. Captain Reza. Hello, sir. Keon's joining us in a little bit for Letters of the Week. Uh, <laughs> it was an interesting conversation, man. It was. Uh, Mr. Picasso, what did you think of that, Reza? Wow. I didn't know his father was, uh, was a an Ahund. Yeah. Uh, it's pretty famously so. Right? Mm -hmm. well, uh, it wasn't that famous. Uh, well, I didn't know the guy, so... I guess this is the this is a point. You're not a kickboxing fan. I'm not a kickboxing fan, nor am I not that a big on media social fan. media. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but what a story! Oh my God, the guy. But he's positive, eh? Like I, he's like, oh, I was living under the bridge and I was happy at the time. I, uh, I, I don't know. I try to take positive aspects of every conversation, even, 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 even though I may not relate to the character necessarily. It's interesting, you know, if uh, I mentioned this at the top of the interview with him, if you just look at his Instagram, mm. um, which is quite huge in terms of the followers and stuff, he, he looks entirely happy. He's, he, you oh. know, he and his wife are, have this seemingly lovely life now in, in uh, Turkey. I guess that's sort of always been the case. Yeah. I mean, and he, for him, 
uh, his answer to that was he wants to spread positivity so he's not um dwelling in the name i mean you know uh, less than a year ago he's sentenced to 16 years in prison uh, and he's not going to see his family anytime That's soon crazy. one presumes but uh i was going through his instagram one thing that i really like he's uh, he's an advocate for um anti-animal abuse um, um activists and stuff like that he's a big activist on uh, on animal, animal, issues. On animal issues and stuff. Shia, did you, did you know of Picasso before? Uh, yeah, I've heard his story before. I mean, we <laughs> we lived our youth in Tehran and we passed it. But I I hope a bright day for his kids. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, as I say, we've got letters of the week coming up in just a little bit with uh, Kian Nadimi joining us. But you know, first. It's Monday, and each week she enriches our lives by teaching us language that we did not know, at least some of us. And she completes us in our mission to be perfect English and Persian blended specimens. She is the person behind the popular Inglisifarsi Instagram page, but as importantly, she is the Persian priestess of Proverbs, the Australian sage of sayings, the wondrous woman of words, our resident Rook Wordsmith. And she joins us right now from Australia. She is... Mona from Melbourne. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, Mona. Durud, Durud, love the music. I, I love that we've really ascribed we've ascribed jazz music to you. Like the, <laughs> you know, we just decided that that's what you. Uh, I don't know. Are you a jazz fan? Are you a player? I mean, well, you know. Oh, you know, I can appreciate a good jazz beat, but yeah, I, I find it very amusing. Thank you. I like it. <laughs> it's the Mona theme. It's it's some badass it jazz is. playing there. Uh, so, what are you bestowing upon our imaginations today, all the way from Melbourne? A word, a saying, a proverb, perhaps? A proverb, indeed. It is a proverb. Um, oh, yes, wow. This week, this Actually, week is a the, proverb. Finally. It's finally the <laughs> proverb of the week. <laughs> <laughs> right. We had to dig deep with this one. Um, it's actually a tribute to my husband. It's one of his favorite sayings. Um, and <laughs> it comes from, I don't know if you guys are DC fans, anyone? <laughs> or are you Marvel mm, fans? I'm, I was always a Marvel. I was always more Marvel, you know? More Marvel. DC, yeah. Okay. DC always felt very American to me, whereas like Marvel was like Fantastic Four and uh, you know. Yeah, you Reza? Yeah. I'm DC. I'm more of a DC. You're DC. Guy. Okay, Reza's yeah, yeah, a DC yeah. guy. Oh, there we go. Reza. If this is a comics-related <laughs> proverb, um, it's actually Batman-related. Okay, so, Batman-related. All right. Uh, it is the night is darkest just before the dawn, and I promise you the dawn is coming. So this, do you know who said this quote, Reza? Do you remember night which? Before dawn, as uh, I don't know. I mean, it's if it's Batman related, is it Bruce Wayne? Um, it's actually Harvey Dent. Harvey, Harvey Dent addressing Gotham City oh. um, just before the Joker strikes. So um, this proverb is um, actually derived. Originally, it was thought to be from a Western influence, but when you dig deep, it actually comes from an Eastern influence. Oh. Uh, I'm sure you know what it means. It talks about how. The, the night is darkest before dawn and um, really it's about that hopelessness where you feel like everything is lost but then the dawn arises and everything is so okay wait a second again. <laughs> do, do you uh, Shia do you know what this Farsi proverb is yet um, I 
I would say پایان شب سیاه سپید است. But I, 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 is that the I one? Mona? That sounds like yeah. Oh, that, that's it. Oh, yeah. we need a bell. We need some kind of bell. <laughs> that was amazing. Wow, Shia. But Shia, you weren't sure about it. Say it again. پایان شب سیاه سپید است. پایان شب سیاه There's actually a segment before that. Do you know the prefix to that? Actually, I don't want to take a time, but I have to think more. Please let us. (laughs) Sure, I'll I'll let you ruminate. (laughs) It's um yeah. So originally, in this phrase was actually quoted in 1650 when an English author Thomas Fuller wrote the version of a book called um, Pisgah, Site of Palestine and the Confines Thereof. And in this book, it talks about. Um, it's always darkest just before the day dawneth, and they realized that it was probably documented from a more ancient proverb. So when you dig deeper, it actually has origins in the Persian romance of Laili and Majnun. So Laili mm. and Majnun predate Romeo and Juliet. Oh, so Romeo so, and Juliet is a Roman version. Of, they, the stole, yeah. they stole it. Yeah. It's all Persian. Yeah. It's all Persian to us. <laughs> That's again. right. So when you look at um, Nozemi uh, Ganjawi's uh, literature, he has um, this saying inside his uh, story. Dar no omidi basi omid ast, payon shabesio sepidast. Beautiful. So it's a, this is a proverb because it sounds like a poetry to me a that's a bit. you know it's a proverb, a proverb. it's always okay. darkest before yeah. light yeah, yeah. Okay, okay uh so okay so wh- what is the story with Laili and majnoon so these are these are two lovers who come from opposing families very similar to the the romeo and juliet scenario where they're basically forbidden love so they basically pine for each other and majnoon goes deep into the forest to like try and forget but then his his love falls deeper into love with um Laili, but um, it's interesting because they're actually never reunited. They're only reunited in death, um, which follows the same story of Romeo and Juliet. Mm-hmm. And you know that Majnun actually means um, insane. The actual definition of his name is mm-hmm. um, insane. Yes. <laughs> Monajan, actually, do you know it has a modern version uh, by uh, Sohrab Sepehri? And when you feel somebody's hopeless, you would say, Andaki sabr sahar nazdikast. Be more mm-hmm. patient. Um, the dawn is close. Yeah. Oh, nice. So this is the modern twist. Oh, yeah. Yes, it's in a. Yeah. And Shaya has a song for in, in that regard. <laughs> so it says, "This too shall pass." <laughs> we mention the song every week. Although Shaya, I don't think that 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 isn't the same thing. It's not entirely the same thing. Be patient, the dawn is coming. Because this is saying um, it's always, you know, the, the, the worst is going is to, it's always going to get worse mm. before that it gets better. Uh-huh, you uh-huh. know, it's kind of That's right. preparing you for, you're going to have to walk yes. through this, this difficult moment. You know? This That's, is a milestone in Rook where Gion corrected Shia. That's right. That's no, right. That's, <laughs> I love it. Yeah, so, yeah. I love Interesting. It. I knew there was something right about this show. <laughs> Feels good this one for some reason. Mona, thank you very much. It's uh, that that was uh, now I, the, the whole thing is too long for me. Let me just take the second half. Shabesio, uh, uh, say it again. Payon shabesio sepidast. All right, thank you so much, Mona. Pleasure, lovely to talk to you guys again. Thanks, Mona. Talk Thanks. to you next Bye. week. Take care. Bye. Mona Kiani, Mona from Melbourne. Find her page at Englishy Farsi on Instagram.
Keon has now joined us. Are you there, Keon? Hello, Gion. Hello, Keon Docht. Hubastam. It's it's Monday, and uh, that just that doesn't just mean uh, it's the Persian proverb of the week. It also means letters of the week. All right, so we, we have quite a mixed bag of letters this week. So uh, let me begin by episode 77. We had an interview with Iranian-American singer, composer, multi- multi-instrumentalist, and Persian sitar virtuoso, Fadid Shafi Nouri. The first letter comes from Gashas Nodan on YouTube. He says, fine episode. Farid has an interesting character. It is quite encouraging to see a young Iranian showing such interest and devotion to the art and culture of his ancestral homeland, despite being born and living so far away from it. He has steadfastly learned Persian music and its history and has become an accomplished musician to a degree that he is now teaching it to others. Such a positive and constructive approach. I wish Farid all the success. Very nice. All right, moving on to Instagram, we have Leila Paints, uh, underscore Paints. I'm assuming she's a painter of some sort. Uh, She wrote, having lived in Canada for the past 43 years, I've often wondered how I'd be perceived if I go back to Iran. That's why I found this episode especially interesting. Thanks for asking the right questions from your super talented guest. Thank you, Leila. Moving on, we have Kusha from Kusha's Corner who wrote in to us. She wrote, enjoyed listening to every minute of this interview. Hands down, one of the most interesting, thoughtful, articulate guests I've heard on your program. By the way, aside from all the interesting and thought-provoking things he shared, what he said about going from terrorist to tourist deeply, deeply resonated with me. That was an hour well spent. Fantastic interview. Nice. Thanks, Kusha. I agree that Terrace the Tourist was a, yeah. a great uh, revelatory moment when he was talking about that. And it's so heartwarming when other guests like write to us about our like the other guests that we have on the show. It is. It's, it's very, very nice. nice. Yeah, indeed. I agree with that. And then we have Atusa Lutfi. She wrote, It is without a doubt quite impressive to see an American-born individual dive so deep to discover and revive his roots. I am, however, more excited about the opportunity his passion creates. I think many of us, Iranian diaspora, are absolutely thirsty for an evolved form of traditional Persian music that speaks to our stories. May the adventure never end, Farid. I love that. That's nice. You know, uh, just to put this in context for people who didn't listen uh, or didn't uh, haven't heard a lot about Farid yet and missed that episode so far, he's a guy who's born in Texas, grew up in, in America, um, in a very Western way, therefore, and but really has gravitated towards and uh, felt an I- identification with his Persian roots, so much so that he has um, really thrown himself into uh, discovering and um, building a career around classical Persian music and poetry. And it's a really interesting story. He still lives in the United States, spent some time living in Iran, uh, and I should mention that Farid, for those who follow him, would know this, but he, he has this teaching institute called the Radif 
Retreat Institute. And I just want to give it a shout out that he's opened his, he reopened his registration for private and master classes uh, as of today, actually. So uh, areas of study include Persian music theory, classical Persian poetry, as well as setar and avaz. Um, and they start in February. So if you want to uh, check this out. I mean, you can tune in from anywhere in the world and do these classes with him. Farid Shafinuri. Farid spelled F-A-R-E-D. Shafinuri. You can find it spelling on our website or whatever platform you're listening to us on. But uh, well worth it. I feel like I should take some Radif <laughs> retreat uh, lessons. I, I would do, yeah. Hope. So last week on episode 78, we had author B- Barbara Slavin on the show to discuss the future of Iran with the new Biden era. So Barbara is the director of the Atlantic Council's Future of Iran in- initiative. And might I add, a lot of people had uh, mixed feelings about Barbara. Uh, let's start with YouTube. We have Alex Asghari. He wrote, all I can hear is dishonesty in Barbara's voice. All she thinks about is business like other Democrats. She has a clear history of having an intimate relationship with the mullahs of Iran. She doesn't care about Iranian people. That's a loaded one. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know if... Uh, um, okay. All she thinks about is business like other Democrats. I think uh, Alex has shown his his political stripes. But uh, fair enough, you know, it's, it's, it's an opinion. Uh, and then we have Ashkand, also on YouTube, wrote, So disappointed. Jian should have challenged Barbara more on Iran's human rights violations. She talks so much about the new JCPOA deal and what needs to be included. She never once mentioned human rights to be a part of Biden's agenda. Hmm. Well, I appreciate the feedback, but I'm not sure why I would challenge Barbara on Iran's human rights. Barbara's a journalist. And um, <laughs> I mean, through the interview, uh, first of all, when I mentioned murderous regime, she agreed and compared the Iranian regime to communist China and the, and the Soviet Union at, at its worst. So I'm not sure uh, that she intimated that there's been some good human rights record there. But um, yeah, I'm not sure why I would challenge her on that. But uh, again, somebody who clearly isn't a fan of hers, I suppose, or her, or or the JCPOA, maybe that's the issue. Yeah, so taking the other side, we have Surush Atai, who seems to be somewhat of a fan of Barbara's. He writes, the people of Iran are the real victims of the sanctions. Thank you, Barbara, for at least helping to better the relationship between Iran and USA for all Iranians. All right. And well, I believe it is now time for the letter of the week. Uh, this one, we have a unique one this week. So Amir Khalaghi, he wrote a post on Instagram about Rook, a whole post. Oh, wow. So he dedicated this to who, Rook. Who is this Amir Khalaghi? A very kind gentleman, I believe. Mm-hmm. So uh, he wrote, are, there, are the rumors true that it's actually Reza using a different name? <laughs> <laughs> who knows? Maybe it's Mijian. You never know. <laughs> no, we're a you'll always be You'll always be my Amir Khalaghi. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so dear probably Khaleqi, sorry, probably Khaleqi. Khaleqi, probably. I've disappointed you. Khob, Ami Khaleqi wrote this post composing, and let's let me read it out to you. So, if you're a podcast listener, as you should be, in brackets, he has, do not miss Rook. 
Gian Romeshi and his top team based in Toronto are producing English interviews with prominent people from the Iranian diaspora. They've hosted musicians, comedians, journalists, environmental activists, and many other great people. Recently, they produced a four-part series to explore how Pink Floyd became an Iranian obsession. My favorite episode so far is the interview with Sara Safari, an Iranian woman who moved to the U.S. to further her education in engineering and ended up climbing Everest. All the adventures and stories she has was quite inspiring. Nice. That's Very lovely. Nice. A good shout out to Sarah Safari there. Thank you, Amir Khalagi. Khalagi. What do you want? Shaya, tell us. Okay. Uh, uh, I, I would say Khalagi, but since you said it's a Khalagi. Yeah. Khalagi, maybe. Or Khalagi. Or Khalagi. Khalagi. Or maybe can we just say Khale Amir? Does that work? Anyway, uh, put Amir on the payroll. Oh, wait, we don't have a payroll. That's really nice. Thank you so much, Amir. And sorry about the disagreements on your last name. Please send us a, maybe do a post phonetically explaining how your last name is said. And we'll read that next week. Uh, June. I don't know what happened to the connection this week. Last, uh, we've had better connections in previous weeks, but uh, we'll we'll fix it for next week or for for the next show for Thursday. My apologies, will do. If anybody's still with us, we'll fix this uh, (laughs) for the next episode. Thank you, Keon. Bye bye. Bye, Keon. We usually have a better last last time we had a perfect Zoom connection with. uh, uh, What do you the shy? You sabotaged it, didn't you? Uh, Honestly, it's a tech problem. It's it's a tech problem. It yeah. was the Democrats. It was the Democrats. The They're all about business. Uh, well, this is full time for Rook today. Today, today. Guess what? It's full time for Rook today. Giangomeshi and his top team, <laughs> who can't get good sound together. Uh, for all things Rook, please visit our website rookmedia.com, including how you can support this program, so we can put people on on a payroll. Thanks in the meantime to the amazing team who put this show together. By the way, our website is rookmedia.com. Producer Susan, Thoughtful Nagin, Ponce of the Artist, the fabulous Keon, Savvy Roham, Master Muhammad, Captain Reza Groovy Shaya, and Alayamir Dud. Thank you to all of you out there supporting us and sharing our content. Please subscribe on any or all of our platforms if you've not done so already. Find me on Instagram at Giangomeshi. Mizunbashi. Bashi.